Father, thank you that as the body of Christ we can come together. And I thank you that we value passing on the truth to the next generation. I ask, Father God, that as the young children go downstairs, that they would be filled with the truth, that they would be excited about Jesus and the kingdom. And for those of us that remain upstairs, I ask that you'd fill us with your word, that we would be so dedicated, so excited about the truth that it would influence everything we do. Thank you for this time that we have this morning as the body of Christ to gather together, to sing, to pray, and to encourage one another and to lift your glorious name up. In Christ's name, amen. Children, you may be excused. This is a wonderful Sunday. This is the last in the series, Truth from John. And when I began thinking about this series, this was, this is kind of where I, I went to start with, and, and God had me rearrange the order a little bit. I've been looking forward to this for a long time. God is so good. Truth really does matter. The truth is foundational to strong believers, and it's foundational to a strong church. Believers are the church, and if the believers aren't in the truth, then what's the point, right? Let's look at today's first, the, the first verse. There's two that I, I selected for this week specifically. This is in John 16, beginning in verse 12. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. This passage was given in, in, on the last night before Jesus was arrested. So I think it's cool that this happens on this Sunday when we're partaking communion. Jesus is in the upper room. He knows what's coming. Jesus has been with his disciples for three years. And here on this evening, <coughs> excuse me, he is giving his disciples final instructions, warnings, promises before he goes to the cross. So this is a very important thing that he's doing. But I, I want us to think very carefully about verse 12. Because Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you. But you can't bear them now. That, that to me is very intriguing. Why could the disciples not bear the things Jesus could tell them? Three years they've been hearing the teaching from Christ. In verse 13, Jesus explains how they will be able to bear the things, which helps us understand why they couldn't. Verse 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. So when Jesus was speaking to the disciples that evening, he had not gone to the cross. He had not died. He, had not, he hadn't risen from the dead. He had not ascended into heaven. And because of that, the Holy Spirit had not been sent. 
So what we see is men of God who, who at best could only have the Holy Spirit come alongside of them in life. The Spirit of God did not dwell in them, was not resident in them. So without the Holy Spirit residing in them, the disciples lacked the power to understand and live the revelations that God had for them. This was all about to change. On the day of Pentecost, the Spirit comes. And every believer from then on is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. The reality is, if you're here today, you're possessed. At the moment of salvation, when you come to Christ, every believer is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. I've been asked that many times. You know, pastor, you know, it's usually around Halloween. Can, can believers be possessed? And on the one hand, I have to say, no. And it's the same reason why I also have to say, yes. Because the Holy Spirit dwells in you. He, he lives there. He resides in you. And in a way, you could go, yeah, you're possessed. By what? The Holy Spirit. Not what? Who? So that answers the other question. Some demonic thing can't possess a believer. There isn't going to be cohabitation. At the moment of salvation... Every believer is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. That's huge for the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 6.19, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You have the Spirit. The church, that means believers, is filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus specifically teaches and tells us of the coming of the Holy Spirit and the work of the Spirit. This is from John 15, 26. But when the Helper comes, that's the Holy Spirit, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. The Spirit was going to come. Now, we've been talking about truth, so we have to put truth together with this. It's very important. Truth has a name. We like to think of truth as maybe something I read or I learn at school. Truth has a name, and the name is Jesus, Messiah, Son of God. Truth is a person. Truth is Jesus. And Jesus is the head of the church. This means that the strong church rests upon truth. Every first Sunday, I've been doing some kind of message about a strong church. It's no different this Sunday. To be a strong church means the church has to be completely resting upon truth. The people that we say are believers, that's the truth. They're filled with the truth. It's the truth. So this truth then is is very important, and, and we need to be guided by the truth. It needs to be what propels us forward. We, we love the truth. We passionately seek the truth as believers. We often talk about the, the Bible in relationship to truth. Jesus, when he was here in human form, he, he believed the Old Testament, that may seem odd. Why would you say that? 
Jesus often quoted it, and he explained it, he interpreted it, and he called people to study it. We should take note of that. Jesus completely upheld every word in the Old Testament. On the Sermon on the, 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 Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Matthew 5, 18, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Law there is referring back to Old Testament. The truth has been revealed through the, the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. That's how we got the Bible. The Holy Spirit is the reason the Bible was written. It's how the Bible was written. The Holy Spirit coming alongside of the authors of the Word of God inspired it. So theologically, that's what we, we term inspiration. So all of, all of this is inspired by the Holy Spirit. Because it's impossible for the spirit of truth to inspire error, the Bible is inerrant. And that, that's, people struggle with that. It's inspired and it's inerrant. When Jesus walked on the earth, in, in the time he lived, inspired scripture only applied to the Old Testament. There wasn't a New Testament. They were living it out, so to speak. The Old Testament was what they preached from. That's what they referred to. As they lived, the New Testament began to be written. Written as the Holy Spirit entered into men who would be inspired, directed, superintended by the Holy Spirit to write the truth. And the New Testament began to be viewed as inspired as well. The truth of Scripture was given by God specifically for people to have the security, the stability, hope, and promises to go through a difficult life. The truth is what we need to get through this life. Paul writes this. It's a familiar passage, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So on the one hand in this passage, we, it's talking about inspiration. It's talking about revelation being given to us. But it also, in verse 17, is talking about it's supposed to do something in us. It isn't just that it, we go, yeah, we got the Bible. End of story. Because the Holy Spirit is God, He knows everything that is possible to be known. So as a teacher, He is qualified to reveal and teach divine truth. There is no better teacher. Now, it's one thing to have a teacher who knows a few things, but this teacher knows everything that's possible to be known. That's the kind of teacher I want. In, in John 14, 26, Jesus says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. 
When Jesus refers to the Spirit teaching all things, he's referring to the Holy Spirit teaching believers truth. So the Holy Spirit was sent by God to reside within each believer specifically to guide them and teach them truth. We don't have to guess. The Spirit is with us. Now this this teaching, this, this revelation, that's part of it. But, but, but really this teaching work of the Holy Spirit, we use a theological term for that, illumination. Listen to this passage that Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, beginning in chapter 2, verse 9. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us, Through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind, the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And the way that we have the mind of Christ is because the Spirit resides in us, reveals to us, teaches us, illuminates those things that are the truths of God. This, this illumination and, and that, that idea of teaching from the Spirit, it does require something. It requires diligent study. Study, that's a part of who we are. And that's what Paul hints at in 2 Timothy 2.15. Do your best to present yourselves to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. So what what we see there gives us this idea of study. Do your best. Well, how are you going to do your best? You're going to work at something. You're going to pursue it. You're going to try as hard as you can. To do what? To present yourself as one approved. How are you going to show that? Rightly handling the word of truth. That requires that we work at this. It also requires that we have the Spirit because studying the Bible apart from being filled with the Spirit is fruitless. In college, I had to have a humanities class, and one showed up, uh, and I, I thought, well, that sounds good. The Bible as literature. Cool, right? Taught by an atheist. Whoa, was it bizarre. He had all kinds of neat things to say about construction of sentences and paragraphs, and, and oh my goodness, there was lots of interesting things, but he did not have the Spirit of God. He did not understand one single word of what was there. 
he denied Christ. It's fruitless to study deeply without the Spirit. This brings me to the second passage that I, I chose for this, this Sunday, and that's John 17, 17 and 18. Jesus tells his disciples, he, he's, he's asking God, he's actually praying, sanctify them, that'd be the disciples, in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Jesus is asking the Father to sanctify and purify the disciples. For what? He's, he's asking that to prepare them to preach the truth to the world. This whole idea of, of sanctification, being in the word and truth, that has a purpose. Verse 17, speaking about sanctification. So there's three kinds of sanctification. You're saved. You come to Christ. You accept what Jesus has done. His death, burial, and his resurrection. You are sanctified. Cannot ever be changed. You've been set apart by the blood of Jesus. You're saved. So you're sanctified. But we have this life because even though I, I know God is powerful enough that you come to Christ, the moment you're saved, he could go, great. Come home, and we're gone. He could do that. And there's days I wish he... Anyway, that's not what he did. You are saved because you've accepted the work of Christ. Now you're going to live some sanctification. And you progress in that. It's, it's daily. It's an operation. It's a process of becoming more and more like Christ and doing more and more of the things of a believer that's being sanctified. And we do that until he does take us home or he comes back. And when we go home to be with him, at the end of the age, we're with him and we are then sanctified. The third meaning of sanctification, glorification. There isn't anything better than that, man. It's all there. So here we are in this life being sanctified. But we're being sanctified in the truth. And that truth isn't just for us. There's a reason for us to be here. Verse 18, so I have sent them into the world. Believers have received salvation. Every believer, that's, that's how you define a believer. They've accepted Jesus. They've received salvation. But they continue to need daily cleansing. Sometimes moment by moment, somebody asked me recently, so how often do I confess my sins? As often as you need to. And they, it's like, okay, so every five seconds? If that's what it takes. We're continually in this, this process of dealing with our sin nature and the process of becoming more like Christ. Satan then aggressively tries to derail the work of this sanctification. But that doesn't matter. It might make some days interesting and difficult, but the Father himself guarantees that through the Word, empowered by the Holy Spirit of truth, we win. The instrument of sanctification is God's revealed, inspired Word. The Word contained in the Old and New Testaments. It's truth. 
We must remember that the Bible, the Scriptures, the Word of God and truth, they're synonymous. Bible is a synonym of truth. God gave us this revelation. It's inspired. It's inerrant. It's truth. We need to remember that. And in applying that and taking us into that place of truth, we come to this this idea of sanctification, a lifelong process for believers who have been sent by God to proclaim the truth. It's no different than those 12. You are being sanctified and you're being filled with the truth for a purpose. Go do that. The truth needs to be proclaimed to the world. Acts chapter 1, verse 7. He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. There is a purpose for each one of us who believe in Jesus. Now, to drive this home and maybe help us to to go deeper, I want to use a sports analogy. I get to do that. Paul used sports analogies, and he was a short, ugly man, so so can I. Many believers have this idea that salvation is like receiving a ticket. You get a ticket, and the ticket is to go to heaven. That's not altogether good because what happens is people who have that idea, they receive the ticket. And they take the ticket and they go, wow, I've got a, I've got a, a free pass. I've got a ticket. So they go to the stadium. And they go to the stadium and they, they sit down in a comfortable seat and they wait for heaven. That's not the way God wants it to be. That's not what God has given us. It's not a ticket for the stadium. It's it's even grander than that. I mean, think about this. The ticket that God has given you as a believer is a field pass. It means you have total permission to go on the field and not only just go on the field and go, wow, I'm out on the field. The expectation is that you go on the field and you're in the game. You're on the team. You're playing. That's what the ticket's all about. You get saved and God says, here's your pass. Get in there and play. You have access to field. You have access to all the other players. You have access to the quarterback. And you're expected to be in the game. No believer is to be an ex- a, a, a spectator. This is, I say this because this is... The same reason that Jesus explained about truth to the disciples. He explained truth to the disciples so they would go preach the truth everywhere and turn the world upside down. But they didn't know the truth like we have access to knowing the truth because they were hampered until the Spirit was sent to them. Once the Spirit came, whoa, out they went. 
Jesus had to die. He had to pay the penalty for sins. He had to be buried and then raised from the dead on the third day. Forty days after that, he ascends into heaven and he sits down at the right hand of God. And from that position of power and authority, Jesus and the Father are having this conversation. And they go, now? No, not, not yet. Now? Now? And then the Father and the Son go, now! Spirit, go get them! And the Holy Spirit is sent. It was time. It was time for the Holy Spirit to dwell in every believer. Day of Pentecost, boom. This was happening to the disciples. They're thrown into the game. It wasn't just a a wow day. God is saying, it's time for you to run the plays. It's time for you to be in the game. They received the Spirit, and they took the good news of the truth. They took the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel, and they turned this world upside down, and we feel the ripples of that even to this day. God hasn't come up with a different plan. This is the same thing he's doing with every believer today. As a believer, you have the greatest teacher, the greatest source of truth, living in you. And the expectation is that you're going to take that everywhere you go. The moment you were saved, you were given a pass, a ticket. And that pass is not one for the stands. It's a pass to get on the field. It's a pass to be in the game. In my analogy then, you got this field. I'm thinking football-ish kind of stuff, you know. So you got all these people running around like crazy on the field. Well, who's in the stands? It's not to be believers, so who's in the stands? It's not believers. Believers are in the game. So the people in the stands watching the game are the people in the world who don't have Jesus. The world has continually watched the church. You can see that throughout the history. You can see it even today. Sometimes it's interpreted by, wow, there's a lot of persecution against the church. Why? Because people are watching the church. The world around us sees what we do, how we live, what we value, and they see us on the field in the game. Jesus, Jesus in this analogy is the quarterback. And he keeps calling plays. And unlike some of the quarterbacks that I have enjoyed watching, he never makes a wrong call. Never, ever. He never throws an interception. He never fumbles the ball. If he hands it off to you and you're going to run right over the the left tackle, it doesn't matter. You're going to succeed. He cannot fail. That'd be a great quarterback, wouldn't it? He always wins. I want to be on that team. Get in the game. How do we get in the game? Well, the first place we got to go is we got to be saved. And then we got to begin the game with truth. Truth takes the believers through the valley of the shadow of death. Not around it. The truth takes us through. You know, depression is, is, is one of those places I've dealt with. And there's many contributing factors. There's a lot of reasons why people get to the point of, of deep, dark, suicidal kind of depression. But 
Getting off that cyclone, getting off that thing, is far easier with the truth. I know. I've been there. I've been on the dark side. It's the Word of God. So even though I've been in the dark, I've seen the light of the truth. Truth is crucial in so many ways. Truth is crucial to stopping addictions, drugs, alcohol, porn. It doesn't matter. You want to get off that? You've got to fill yourself with the truth. The truth will change you. The truth will set you free. So in this analogy, we've got people in the stands. How do we identify people around us that are in the stands? So here's a list of seven things that are characteristic of those in the stands. They're selfish, and they want to be comfortable. Two, they have little or no hope. Three, they want to be in power. They don't like to serve that they expect to be served. They are easily manipulated by money, power, drugs, alcohol, sex, possessions, politics, you name it. They're easily manipulated. Six, they deny truth. And in their denial of truth, they live lives of lies. Their lives are lies. Seven, they gossip, spread lies. They spread gossip. Now, those are seven ways that you can go, oh, man, that's somebody in the stands. So how about how do we identify Believers on the field, those who are in the game. Here's seven things. First one, they adore the quarterback. They don't just, they don't just like the fact that he never throws an interception. They adore him. And guys may go, I'm not going to adore the quarterback. I mean, that's kind of weird. No. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. I adore the quarterback. Two, they have eternal hope. Oh, my goodness. What do we have as believers to look forward to? And in this analogy, we're going to win the game. What fun is that, huh? They serve with gladness. It doesn't matter if you're the smallest guy on the football team. The quarterback goes, Williamson, up the middle, right over the tackle. Yes, sir. And he ends the ball. And boom, off you go. Yay, I got my name called. Doesn't matter how big he is. Because the quarterback called it, I will succeed. That fills me with a lot of joy. Fourth. They have faith in what the quarterback calls. I'm going to do whatever Jesus says. I don't care how crazy it is. I don't care, wow, that doesn't, well, man, I, that's not what I'd have called. Jesus calls the play. And we have faith 
to do it because he will not fail. I can put my faith in him. Fifth, they don't ever want to be out of the game. They don't ever come back to the head and go, man, I'm tired. I got to have somebody else come in. They never do that. They never tire of the game. Let's go. Let's just keep going. Let's keep running and let's keep passing. Let's keep doing this until Christ takes us home and the game is over. Related to that, for believers in the game, the game is every moment of every day, everywhere that God takes them. There's, there's no place that the game isn't happening. The seven is that people in the game love people, especially the people of God that are in the game, and they're passionate about people being saved from eternal separation from God. That's being in the game. That's being in the game. So, so there's, there's a contrast between being in the stands and being on the field playing the game. So how do we, how do we play this game? How do we run these plays? For the disciples, when you look at the New Testament and what was going on, they were filled with the Spirit finally, and then they went out in every direction guided by the Spirit, and they just, they just tore it up. The world's never been the same. To play the game, you got to know the truth. You, you got to be all about the truth. To know truth, you got to read the Bible. So, so running the plays, being in the game means that you're going to read the Bible every day. You, scripture is, is, is your passion. It's your life. It's like food and drink and air. you got to have it. You can't run the plays if you don't know the truth. Scripture is powerful. It's a two-edged two sword. It's part of our armor. It's what gets things accomplished. It's what transforms people. You know, play the game, start with the truth. You got to be there. You got to know that the truth is there for you. You don't understand the truth? You got the best teacher living in you. The other thing is that we have to remember that if we are believers and we're in this game, we don't take over the role of the quarterback. If you think it's time to pass and he says, nope, it's fourth and 12. We're running it up the middle with the smallest guy on the team. And everybody goes, you're crazy. I think we should do. No, the quarterback says, up the middle, boom, and off we go. And it's successful. He, right, he breaks through and he runs for 20 yards. First down, Yeah. The quarterback calls what needs to be done. We don't take that on. The Spirit has so many ways He wants to use us. The Spirit wants to direct us. He put us in the body of Christ where it pleases Him. He indwells every one of us. And He empowers us. And God empowers us with the truth. Let me use FBC as an example of some of this. The Spirit may want you 
to do any number of things. It's like he, he may want you to operate the sound on a Sunday morning. He may want you to work with the streaming or operate the slides. Maybe you're to sing or play an instrument, the piano or another one. He, he wants you to do that. That's what the quarterback is saying. That's the next play. Maybe you're to help keep our facility running and safe and clean. Maybe that's, that's the play. Maybe that's what he's saying. Put, put him in. Put her in. Maybe it's teaching Sunday school. Maybe it's serving in the nursery. And nursery is always a problem. You know, I'm, I hear people, you know, oh, we don't have anybody in the nursery for this and that. I went to a church once and, and there was a lot of people, a lot of young families. And to use the nursery facilities, you had to sign up and say, I will serve in the nursery. Okay. Oh, great, you know. Well, they also had those young families who were signing up to, to serve in the nursery. They also had a whole bunch of other people who were signing up to be in the nursery. And so for Emily and I, when we were asked to serve in the nursery, it was our turn. It happened to be twice a year. There were sometimes we served more than that. But that's what it came down to because there were so many in the game. If we had people playing the game, that wouldn't be a problem. It wouldn't be a problem for, for Riley to go, I don't know who's doing the sound. I don't know. Get in the game. How, how some other ways that we can be in the game? How about what's happening on Wednesday nights? Feeding the youth. Whew, that's a big one. Maybe, it, it, maybe, maybe your task is to fix the meal. Maybe your task in the play is, is to serve it on Wednesday nights and just help with that. Maybe your, your job for the youth, maybe what God wants you to do to be in the game is to mentor a young person. How about hosting a small group? Maybe, maybe that's what you can do. I open my house, just, just let's have a small group. Come and be a part. Maybe your, your task is to, to lead a small group. Maybe it's to lead the men's group or women's group. Maybe a special function. And then there's prayer. And prayer sometimes really bothers me because we go, yeah, prayer, and we kind of gloss it over. And <sighs> Prayer. Prayer is so incredibly powerful. Why do we trivialize it? This is part of being on the field. This is so much a part of what's happening in the game. I have two stories I want to share as I go along. <laughs> oh, well. I went to a pastor's conference in Seattle, not one of my favorite towns. This church we went to was big. You could call it a mega church. They had probably close to 2,000 people coming to church. But the other thing that was happening there was that they had a variety of different ministries happening. Some of them were on the streets of Seattle. Some of them were men's groups and women's groups, no, no matter what. They had, op they had some things that were happening where large groups of people were coming to Christ at one time. They had a, an event with a bunch of street people and 50 people came to Christ at one time. So this church is happening. I don't totally agree with all of their theology, but man, this church was happening. Happening for the kingdom of God. So I go and I went early one evening because I, I like to go in and I like to check out facilities and sometimes I'll do that and I'll get some ideas to take home and, and whatever. And I, I, so I was there earlier. And I come through into the foyer and the carpet is nice, it's clean. 
the building's fairly new. And then I kind of went, whoa, that's kind of weird because you've got all this. It looks pretty nice. But here's this path that turns off to the right. And it's muddy footprints, dirty carpet, and it goes to a door. And I thought, that, that's weird. There's no label on the door. So I go, well, well you know, what, what can I lose? They can only shoot me once. So I walk over and I push the door open. And here's this room. It's a little bit bigger than our fellowship hall. And there's chairs all the way around the wall, and there's a few chairs scattered here and there. And there's, I don't, I don't know, maybe 20 people at that, at that time. Some of them on their knees. Some of them standing. Some of them walking around. And you can tell, and sometimes you can even hear, they're praying. And they're praying for that night's meeting and the coming up events of the week. And this person who needs Christ and this person who has cancer, they're in there praying. And I'm going, this is wild. And the other thing I noticed was that that carpet in that room was absolutely, totally worn out. There were spots in front of every single chair where the carpet is like gone. These people are in there praying, not together all the time. I go, this is neat. I, I leave, you know, I didn't want to interfere. And I ran into a deacon after I left the room. And I said, that's crazy. And he goes, yep. That's why this church is what it is. When this church started being formed and we had a vision of what we wanted to do for Christ and for the body of Christ, we decided it wouldn't happen without prayer. And from that time on, no matter what the event, there was somebody praying. Not, not just, okay, well, it's Sunday morning, so somebody will pray Sunday morning. They have people praying in that church, in that room, 24-7, 365 holidays included. If you go in that church, I'm assuming it's still there, I don't know. You walk in there, there is somebody there 24 hours a day praying for whatever's happening. Powerful, powerful church. That's running the place. Now, the other prayer thing that I, I just love to tell, is there's a, a church, it's a little bit bigger than ours, and they had an older lady in it. Um, I don't know what her age was, but she had to walk with a cane. She, she's been active in the church her, her whole life. And <clears throat> she is having a hard time getting around. And she's trying to figure out how to be in the game. What's my role? She came up with this idea. And it's related to prayer. Every Saturday until she died, she would come into the church and she would start somewhere in the church. It was never exactly the same. And she would sit in every single chair in the sanctuary. And in that time, she would pray for people. And the pastors and the staff gave witness to this. She'd sit there and sometimes she'd pray silently. Sometimes she'd pray out loud. She'd pray for whoever's in that chair to get healed. She'd pray for them to hear the word. She'd pray that they would be transformed by the word. She would pray for the upcoming events. And she prayed in every single chair in that church. Another church that has just astonishing proof of the power of God. Here's one lady. That was what the quarterback called. She went and played in the game and stayed in the game until she died. And I'm sure when she was there, God met her and said, well done, my good and faithful servant. So how do we do this? How else can we do this? Run your business for Christ. 
You're a business person, run it for Christ. Do your job for Jesus. Ranch for Jesus. Drive truck for Jesus. Help this church connect with missionaries. We need help with that. Go on a missions trip. If you haven't been on a short-term missions trip, you need to go on a short-term missions trip and you will be in the game in a way you can't even imagine. It is so amazing. Become a missionary. Maybe that's what God's saying. Go to school to be a pastor. I'll pick on Hudson again. He comes up to me today. He's 11, right? He walks up to me and says, Pastor, I'm, I'm working on writing a sermon. So how are you doing that? We talked a little bit about how he's writing a sermon. I gave him a few ideas. It's great. Okay, I'm going to go do it. He's an 11-year-old. I fully expect this church to support him to go through school and become a pastor. And when he does, you better look out. <laughs> he talks a lot, so he's qualified. Get in the game. There's all kinds of support. There's all kinds of ways that you can be a part of the game. Be a part of what God is doing. There's always stuff that's available in the, in the hub, in the office. There's people who need to be visited. There's, there's people who need to be prayed for. There's giving financially. There's service work. There's, it just goes on and on and on because the quarterback is saying, let's play the game. We're going to win. Let's go do it. You're filled with the truth. There's no reason for you to wait. And you have a pass to be on the field. Father, thank you that through Jesus we have been given a pass to be in the game. Thank you, Jesus, that you're the quarterback and you're ready to put us in the next play. Help us. Help us, Holy Spirit, to know the truth, to see the truth, experience the truth, proclaim the truth wherever we're at. Thank you, Father God, that our side wins. Put us in, coach. In Jesus' name, amen.